0: Let's take a moment to ground ourselves and to connect ourselves to this physical space where we are. And the hope being that we get to this space that is safe for us, also safe for anything or anyone that wants to join us. We're going to declare our intentions we will be very clear about what we are inviting and what we are not inviting and this grounding technique will help us stay here in this physical space just the four of us so i think everybody should close their eyes
1: before any mediumship session andrew wants to create a certain space to encourage the possibility of positive contact and to better connect ourselves, to better protect ourselves from those darker elements.
0: The light that we sent off into space last night, picture that same beam coming back, coming from above and coming right through your chest, all the way through your feet. And it's keeping you grounded. It's keeping you on this plane. Inhale again and exhale. Think about opening the veil temporarily. Think about our intentions of creating a safe space for something to make contact, but most importantly creating a safe space for us while we try this experiment. the next little while we are here as receptors we're opening ourselves providing a safe space for anything that wants to join us is there anybody in the hotel Chelsea that wants to communicate with us tonight this is a safe space to do so
1: blindfolded Lost of your earthly senses, you listen to the rhythmic static until it speaks to you. Bits of radio broadcast diced into bits as if some cut up art experiment to tell a word, a phrase, a call. Andrew is listening right now. Calling. Who are you calling? to us, can you tell us a little bit about where you're at right now?
0: Now. Again. Feel. I feel. Right now.
1: You're feeling it right cold. now. Oh.
0: Cold. Why?
1: tell us a little bit about what we're talking Try about. again. Do you want us to try this board again, maybe? No. Okay. Okay. It is very hard to communicate through these methods, and it may, it's probably new for you. Can you
0: Will me? you, again, believe?
1: I'm Jim Perry. This is Euphemet, a show about the unknown and our relationship to it. This time, ripping the veil and falling into the other side. Next, on Euphemet. This part of town has always held host to those looking for it. More reasons to believe more chances to feel it. Like some vortex pulling in artists, writers, and thinkers, Hotel Chelsea in Manhattan has been a weird place for a very long time. Its residents and guests, luminary too many to mention, who through life and death helped shape post-war culture into a murky bohemia in the image of the Chelsea's Victorian bones. Andrew Jewell is the publisher of a paranormal zine called Strange Days, and he doesn't hide the intentionality of tonight's event in such a space. In this part of town, for as with the artists follow the occultists, the weirdos finding lights in the night, New Thought, the Fortean Society, John Keel, Long John Nebel, the Council of Nine, all of which gained attention here in this very hotel in nearby streets. tonight. Andrew hosts a tribute to these strange bedfellows, these dark pioneers in which are only separated by time, a veil lifted in memoriam. But for Andrew, becoming such a Fordian began many years ago.
0: So about six months before I was born, my parents bought this old farmhouse in this this small rural town. My mom was pregnant with me. Um, it was my dad, my mom, and my older brother, who's about four and a half years older than me. And they moved into this farmhouse, and it was it was like a pretty typical midwestern little you know house for a smaller smaller family. Almost immediately after moving in, I mean I, I, not even almost, the day they were moving in, activity started, and. They, it it never stopped until we moved out six or seven years later. Um, Before I was born, my parents and my brother were experiencing what I feel like I can say with near certainty was paranormal activity. It's, and I know that it's hard to be certain about anything like that because it was my family and because it was an environment that I was in and I was there. I can pretty much say with certainty that. This house that we lived in was, was haunted. We all experienced things there. Some of the stories that my, my mom has told me is there, the bedroom that was my parents' bedroom, but my parents split eventually, so it ended up just being my mom and my brother and I. So my, the, my mom's bedroom was off to one side of the house and the kitchen and the bathroom were on the other side of the house. And then upstairs was one big room that was my brother and I's bedroom. We shared it. And my mom would often wake up in the middle of the night hearing running water. At first she thought it was plumbing. She was hearing water running through the pipes and the plumbing in the house. It was an old house. But then she realized after this went on for some time that all of the plumbing was on the other side of the house. And there was no reason that there would have been plumbing like above her bed in the ceiling and that's where she heard this running water there was a story that when when they were moving in when my parents were moving in there was like they had a friend that maybe maybe my uncle was helping my dad move some of the larger furniture in because my mom was pregnant and they were all inside they like sat down refrigerators and then they all went outside and as soon as they stepped outside there was like a thunderous bang from inside the house it startled them and my mom said her assumption was that the refrigerator that they just had moved in was not balanced and somehow tipped over and made this really really loud thud and they went in and nothing or it would nothing had changed but it was way too loud of a sound to just be nothing i mean they all heard it there was uh, a time when she would hear music that sounded like it was coming out of a, a Victrola coming from my brother and I's bedroom upstairs in the middle of the night. And she would hear like the murmur sounds of like people talking. Like she, she basically said it sounded like there was a party happening in our bedroom. You know, my, I'm two or three and my brother's six or seven. She goes up there and we're sound asleep, and there's, of course, nothing there. And this happened several times. she would hear this like scratchy victrola again, her bedroom was off to one side of the house, and she it, it the bed the main bedroom in the house didn't have windows in it, which is creepy, I know, but it was the story she had been told by the realtor was that the people who lived there previous to my family moving in had renovated the house and the dad worked third shift and he worked at um, General Motors plant in Flint, third shift. And so when they renovated, he decided he made the decision to not put windows in the main bedroom so he could sleep during the day. My mom tells the story of one night she was asleep and she wakes up. She doesn't know in the moment what's waking her up, but it quickly becomes apparent there's like a bright light at the foot of her bed, as if there's like a car parked and there are car headlights shining on her right at the foot of her bed. So she's startled and her eyes are adjusting and as they adjust, she makes out the backlit silhouette of a figure standing there. And it was just there and then it was gone and the lights were gone and that was it. So this is the house that I was born into. I have a hard time putting my earliest memories in chronological order, but what I think is, if not my earliest memories, certainly one of my earliest memories. I was sitting on the couch. My brother was at school. I wasn't old enough to be in school yet. I was watching cartoons. My mom was having a nap. She was a single mom life, you know, she was like having a nap. Her bedroom was right next to the living room where I was watching cartoons and I, the couch is on the east wall of the house and it's facing the west wall and the TV is on the west wall and right next to the TV were the stairs that came down from my brother and I's room. That's the only staircase that went up there. So I'm sitting on the couch and I'm looking at the TV but I'm also looking directly at where the stairs come come out. And I'm watching cartoons and all of a sudden I hear someone upstairs walking around and then they start coming down the stairs. Walking down the stairs it was totally... I mean, it was. that's what the noise was. It didn't sound like someone was walking down the stairs. I heard someone walking down the stairs. And then they get to the bottom, and there's nothing. And I remember thinking to myself as a toddler, oh, that's just the ghost. Because I I think my brother had told me first that, that there was weird stuff happening in the house, and I don't even know if I knew what that meant, that we had a ghost that lived there. But I guess I knew enough to make that make sense in my brain and to justify what I had heard. So yeah, that's, that's the house I grew up in. And I just don't think there was ever any chance of me not being a weirdo after that. <laughs> so after living in that house, when I was super young, my I didn't immediately become some morbidly curious young person. I, I, you know, I I had that experience. I carried it with me. I still carry it with me, but immediately after that, my interest in the paranormal or unusual things was sort of just what was in pop culture. When I was growing up, I was watching unsolved mysteries. I was watching X-Files. Eventually I was reading Goosebumps books, I was reading scary stories to tell in the dark, that sort of thing. And so for a while when I was a kid, it was sort of just at that level that many people from that are my age or similar had. When I got a little bit older and a little bit more freedom, I started to I started to, my, my interest started to peak a little bit more. And so specifically in high school, you know, around the time where you can drive and you can go check out the local cemetery after dark, that sort of thing. And that grew into, eventually when I moved out of my parents' house to go to school, about an hour away from where I grew up, I met some other people who had interests in the same things and we sort of started ghost hunting. And I'm saying that with air quotes because we didn't really know what we were doing. We had like an infrared thermometer that we would carry around, I had a digital camera, we had a voice recorder. We would just like research these places. There was this amazing website when I was in my late teens, early 20s that I would use. It was a Rolodex of all folklore haunted places all across mid-Michigan. So we would just hit those up. So for a long time, it was just, you know, something that I did for fun every now and then. If, If my friends were into it, if I was hanging out with the right crowd that wanted to go do something like that. Then, when I eventually met my partner, Allie, we sort of connected over our interest in the paranormal and all things strange and unusual. And, and that was a part of our bond and continues to be a part of our bond. And so we sort of helped each other lean into these things. For me, it was this. For me, it was UFOs, ghosts, you know, anything weird. For her, it was very similar. She's also a practicing witch, and so she. So we sort of helped each other lean into these things. For Halloween in 2020, which was the first year of COVID, you know, March of 2020 is when COVID sort of blew up. And then by the time Halloween came around, we, my partner Allie and I, we were just really longing for our friends. We have a fantastic group of friends here in New York, and we really wanted to spend some time with our friends, doing something special for Halloween because obviously it's every witch and weirdo's favorite holiday is Halloween. So we rented, we found this amazingly beautiful Victorian house in the Catskills and we rented it and we got a group of, it was a pretty small group, it was just four other people and us. So a group of six to to go have this Halloween party slash seance. And one of the other guests is, uh, is a very, very good friend of mine who happens to be an extremely talented woodworker. And we were joking at some point about like, yeah, you know, we, maybe we need a Ouija board for this event. And he was like, oh, I could make a Ouija. I could make like a homemade Ouija board or something, a spirit board. And I was like, yeah, like you, that would be amazing. If you want to do that, no pressure. And he did some research and he found some... Victorian-era spirit boards that are these beautiful, ornate boxes with hinged lids, and they're so much more than just like a board of the planchette. And so he made us one for specifically for this Halloween seance that we were having that year. And this was, this Halloween, it was such a special Halloween because it was COVID and we hadn't seen these friends for the better part of the year. It was a full moon and it was... Daylight savings happen to fall on that. We got an extra hour, like, to have, you know, to revel in for the night. We have a party and we cook this amazing meal and we have a seance and we use his board and I had brought some of my equipment, K2 meter and IR cameras and stuff, and we kind of, the voice recorder. We kind of set all this stuff up and. Allie, my partner, she created a circle for us to be safe in so everybody could knew that we were grounded and that we were safe. And then we tried to make contact. And I had done some research for the area, and there were a couple of deaths on the property that we were in and around. And so that was who we tried to contact. And it was pretty quiet, but after a little while of us sort of getting deeper and deeper into this, it felt like the house woke up. Just noises that weren't there before, creaks and like groans. It just felt like we. It just felt like the house had just woken up, and we didn't even realize that it hadn't been awake the whole time we were there. It got a little scary. It got. We heard. We heard these noises, and a, a, one of one of my friends said that there. She was, she's kind of sensitive, and she was sort of feeling like there was like this one area in the back of the house where there was some major shift in the energy while we were doing this. And then we heard a noise that sounded like, to me, it sounded like someone who wasn't in our group letting out a deep, deep exhale. Got a little real at that point, and we decided, okay. This is, this, this will be where we end it. And this, you know, us trying to make contact. So we came back, came back to earth and we cleaned up and decided to go to bed. It was pretty late. And then that whole night, it just sounded like the house was alive. It was, we were, there were just, we, it was our third night there. We were hearing noises that we hadn't heard any, any of the other two nights just As I said, it's hard to explain, but it's just these noises that had they been happening the whole time, I would have just chalked it up to being an old Victorian house. They hadn't been. They only started once we sort of parted the veil. And I kept hearing, it sounded like one of our friends was like going downstairs and coming back up and going downstairs and coming back up. And and in the morning I mentioned it, he was like, I didn't leave my bed the whole night. Like, what are you talking about? I was like, no, I heard you. I could specifically hear your bare feet on the hardwood floor is like rubbing. He's like, no, I you were up before me, I never got up. And it was just, we had very clearly woken something up and I really do think it was in part to this amazing spirit board that our friend had made us, this beautiful, beautiful board that now, that he gifted to us and, and now is one of, the, one of the tools at our disposal. I've had this spirit board now, Allie and I have, my partner, sitting on a shelf in our apartment since. It's been been almost two years and we haven't used it since. But now, when you said that you were coming to town and you were going to stay at the Chelsea Hotel, which is infamous for many, many things, but one of them being paranormal activity, I immediately knew that it was time to dust the board off and bring it and so this will be the first time we've used it and as i said i think that we had some success when we used it before so now tonight we'll do the same thing we'll we will try to create an opportunity and create a space for whatever energy is lingering in this hotel to come and join us and make their presence known
1: I'm here with Andrew Jewell and some friends, and as if a memory of Midtown come again, we set candles before positioning the spirit board dead center. We anticipate what these walls may say at nightfall during our seance.
0: There has been a lot of change happening in this building. I imagine if there was spirit or energy residing here this amount of change would have some implications and some effects on your world is there anybody who wants to talk about that with us
1: writer charles jackson lived the lost weekend here nancy spongen was found stabbed here dylan thomas wrote here drank here, fell into a coma before dying shortly after. The Chelsea is known as much for the famous lives led in its rooms as its famous deaths here. Tonight, everyone agrees to Anesta Session, a mediumship technique described in earlier euphemet features in hopes to connect with the brighter souls some say are still about, still working on their masterpiece, their greatest work.
0: We read a story about someone jumping out of the window, is that Hold down. what you mean by flying? Down. You fell down?
1: Point it.
0: Yeah, I'm pointing the camera. Down. Down, I am. Show me that you're here.
1: Down.
0: Did you fall down out the window?
1: Okay, I was like down with like five different voices.
0: When you started to say fly, we sort, of, we sort of asked about the story we heard of someone jumping out the window, and then you kept saying down. I want to know more. I want to open my mind. I want to know why there are houses and spaces that appear to be haunted. Why, why you know what is it? What is this energy? I I just, my mind is just ready to absorb any, anything that wants to come out of these experiences. And I think it's important not only as a human to, to allow that growth and to recognize and try to understand our place in the greater scheme of things. But I also think it's important specifically in a place like the Chelsea hotel, because there are so many stories here. This is such a, an interesting place and like all of New York City it's ever changing and it's when a place like this gets renovated and the the slate sort of gets wiped clean doesn't it just make you wonder where all the energy that was there goes and so I think it's important to give that energy the opportunity and the chance and, and the safe space to do whatever it wants to do. Maybe it doesn't want to make contact with us. Maybe it wants to, you know, tell us its life story. Maybe it doesn't even know that we're here. But I think that as a paranormal investigator, it's part of the job or part of the duty to create the opportunity for that safe space. Before COVID, before you, the end of the winter of 2020 or the beginning of the spring, before March of 2020, before COVID, just flipped everything on its head. I was diving head—I was diving headfirst into any and all things high strangeness. I was reading John Keel. I was reading anything by John Keel I could get my hands on. I was reading anything by J. Allen Hynek I could get my hands on. I was reading, like, the dry books that no one wants to... I was reading Project Blue Book files, which are just, like, anything I could immerse myself in. I was just, like, in it. I had this moment that winter where I just was just full on. And and then COVID hit, and I realized that after some time of, of being off work and being, you know, of being isolated in, in our apartment... I realized it was a prime opportunity to do something creative, to, to figure out an outlet. I needed, to, I needed to figure out some sort of outlet, not specifically for the high strangeness stuff, but just for my sanity, being, being in a small Brooklyn apartment during those months. And I was sitting on the couch one day, and I don't remember what book I was reading at the time, but I had set it down, I took a break from it, and I was like looking at the bookshelf in our living room, and... Just a stack of old Fate magazines sitting there, and I was like, "Like no one's really doing that anymore. People are writing books, and people are, they have podcasts, and they're sharing stories in that way, but no one is taking stories as they happen and putting them out in a printed form like that. So I just had the idea to sit down and try to make a, a small little zine in the, in that manner. So I sat down on the computer, thought I was going to, spend two hours eight hours later i was like okay i guess this is something and i had written volume one i didn't let anybody read it i didn't even let anybody proofread it i just i googled printer you know find a printer online sent it like ordered like 30 copies they come a week later and I asked for a bunch of my friends' addresses who I hadn't seen because so we were quarantining, and I just sent it to them unsolicited. Didn't ask if anybody wanted it, didn't bother, didn't care. I, this came out of my brain, and now it's yours. <laughs> like, throw it in the trash, put it on your bookshelf, read it, like, whatever you want to do, I just, this, this exists now. And people, it, my friends were super receptive, or they at least humored me, and they were really nice. And I immediately got started on the second. not having any idea or any plans or anything, but I got started on the second one and I had a couple people who wanted to contribute. So they, I put their articles on the second one. And then I, after the second one came out, I started social media accounts for strange days and more people discovered it. And I sold out of it. I actually o- oversold the second volume and got more printed. And I was like, okay, time to make a third one, I guess. And that just kept happening. And is and now there, the stories are getting longer and more interesting. I'm getting more, um, Submissions, all types of submissions. But yeah, I mean, it was just this thing that I just wanted to do. One, I, I did not think it would be any more than this 20 page initial volume one that I was forcing upon people. I didn't think it would grow into anything more than that. Thinking about John Keel and his legacy and the people who came before him, Charles Fort, and thinking about the people that I have met. Since I've started doing Strange Days. This idea came to me this week that maybe there should be a place for these minds to convene and get together, whether it be, you know, literally in the same space or through writing or through podcasting or whatever, but maybe there is a void in this community that could be filled by continuing to follow in John Keel's footsteps and he ran something called the New York Fortean Society. This idea is growing inside of me that I might need to resurrect the New York Fortean Society and get all of these minds together and see what happens. All right, let's let's close our eyes. Take a deep breath in, think about that light that we called down. Let it out, take another deep breath in. Let it out, and we're gonna send that light back up. We're gonna release it. We're gonna close the veil. We're gonna thank those who joined us and those who communicated with us. Thank you for being here, thank you for being comfortable enough. Join us in this space. This is where we leave you. The veil is now closed. We've released our light. We will remain grounded. We will leave everything else here.
1: Thank you for listening to this edition of Euphomet. This feature was edited and scored by John McEdward. Thank you to Andrew for a story. You can find a link to Strange Days in the show notes. Andrew is a listener of Euphomet, and you can have your story featured too. Reach out, jim at euphomet.com. For everything Euphomet, including how you can subscribe to the show, links to our Patreon on social media, visit euphomet.com, and for even more, check out Night Drift. It's our weekly radio broadcast discussing Ufamed and hosting panels on topics at the intersection of society and strange. At Sundays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, with replays found on the Ufamed podcast feed. This has been UFOMed. I'm Jim Perry. And until next time, keep looking up.